great. Okay, fantastic. This is going to go real well. Um, for all of you that have children in their baskets, you're going to see a paper that looks like this. This is an ornament that they can color during the service and cut out. And then at the end, there's a table in the back back here on my right, your left that has uh, glue and tape and whatnot, and they can put those together, and then we have a tree out in the foyer that all those ornaments can, can be hung on. So uh, your kids can, can work on that while we're, while we're going through our stuff this morning. Uh, man, what a, a great day to, um, to talk about love of the Father when we get to baptize one of our own and kind of revel in that uh, for the moment. I was, I'm really excited about today. I'm excited about what the Lord has for us. Uh, for those of you that are visiting us today, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. We started that in the beginning of February. And I want to kind of give you a brief introduction to the book because it's going to help us kind of understand the reason that the author is saying the things that it's saying. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 today. Um, and that's a, a, a book of the Bible that many of us, and a chapter that many of us are very familiar with. It's the faith chapter. A lot of people, when they ask the question, what is faith? That's where they turn to to kind of help define that. But the the wording can be a little muddy, uh, if you will. So we're going to kind of break that down a little bit today. But to kind of give you an idea of what this book was written for, it was written to several churches that were situated in Rome. And in Rome, those churches were facing persecution, but not just from the Romans, but primarily and more specifically from their fellow Jews. These churches were full of people who had been Jewish uh, and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, just like what Joshua professed today. They chose to believe that Jesus came to be the Messiah, and as a result of that, their families disowned them. You know, today we're gathered here today to celebrate with Joshua the decision that he made. The exact opposite was true for the, for the people that this letter was written to. Um, they also lost their friends many a times in that culture. Their jobs were associated with their families and those circles in which those families moved in. And so not only did they lose their families and their friends, but they also, many of them, lost their jobs. And so they find themselves not able to find good paying jobs because the Romans didn't want them there. And the jobs that they had the, from their families, their families didn't want them around either. And so they are basically left looking for the scraps of what was left over. And so this letter is written to encourage them by reminding them of what they chose to believe when they put their faith in Jesus and why it's important that they continue to believe that. So this letter was delivered to uh, some of the leaders of the church and it was passed around from church to church and read out loud. So we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. I don't want to hear any complaining from anybody because we're not reading the whole book of Hebrews today. You're welcome, okay? So last week we finished up chapter 10 where the author reminds them that while they're still in the midst of their struggle, the day would come when sin would be destroyed and removed from earth forever. See, we live on this side of the cross and we have forgiveness of our sins, but the effects of sin are still all around us. We see it when, when we walk out the door first thing in the morning and sometimes even within our own homes. But the hope that, that the gospel is pointing to is that one day Jesus is going to come back and that sin will be gone. We're not going to have to live in that or deal with the consequences of it anymore. There's a peace that was promised by the prophets long ago and that, they, that it was going to arrive when Jesus returns. So the author finishes chapter 10 with verse 39. It says this, but we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. So it's in the context of that reminder that we're going to approach Hebrews chapter 11 today. Church, when, when I went back and forth on this uh, over the course of this week, because it's really good to read all of chapter 11 in one setting and kind of let that marinate in your soul, if you will. On the one hand, it's, it's beneficial, but also it's beneficial for us to take each of those examples that the author gives and kind of break it down and see the context behind why he included that. 
Um, chapter 11, uh, the author's using a teaching style called exemplia. And literally it means that he's going to give so many examples that by the time he's done, you are exhausted and you understand what he's trying to say right? We call that nagging nowadays, but that's, that's kind of what he was trying to get them to, is to provide so many examples of God's people being faithful to him that by the time he's done, they go, okay, we get it. We understand. We need to continue on in our faith, okay? So as I studied and prayed, I decided it's not going to be good for us to go through the whole chapter today. We're going to hit the first several verses, okay? So let's start off this morning by reading ver- the first three verses in Hebrews chapter 11. And that's either on the screen or if you've downloaded the Faith Life app, uh, the scripture will be in there as well. And there's an outline that you can follow along. All right, so Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. You know, over the the last few weeks, I've pointed specifically back to this chapter when talking about the relationship between hope that we talked about a few weeks ago and faith. And today we're going to see that come together. But hope is a desire for something to happen with the undertone of uncertainty. It means that we want it to happen, but we're not really sure. Think about it this way. You can create a Christmas list like my kids have done, and you can hope that you will get everything that's on that list, but you are not certain that you will get everything. Faith, from a a modern secular viewpoint, is a blind leap that's often very closely associated with faith. We hear people say say things like, um, we're going to have faith in the process You hear that often when people are starting a new venture, maybe a business or going on an adventure and they're not really sure how it's going to turn out. And so they say, I'm going to have faith in the process. They want it to work, but again, they're not certain that it will. While they intend to give their best effort, there's still the chance that it's going to fail. Biblical faith is the certainty that it will happen, not based only on hope or our hard work, but on the revelation of God's truth and character. Do you see the difference? See, faith is not something that we hope will happen. Faith is provided to us by the evidence of God's activity in our life. We're going to look through that as we go through this passage today. But this is the kind of faith that the author of Hebrews is telling them about. It's something that you can trust and believe because you know that God will do what he says he's do. So first point I want to make today is that biblical faith isn't based on what we want or what we do but on certainty that's found only in God. A few weeks ago, Wes Renard shared his testimony about changing his his job. And when I say changing his job, not that he was changing from one job to another job in the same field. He went from plant production management to a uh, completely sales-based income. And he prayed through that a lot. That was a scary thing for him to do. And as he prayed through, should he take this job, God spoke very clearly in many ways that it was for him to do. And so as he stood before us during our story time and shared the testimony of that, what he was able to say is that I know that God is calling me to do this. And whether I'm successful in the job is irrelevant. I'm successful because I'm obeying what God has called us to do. That's faith. That's faith where we trust God with everything and say that I know that it will happen because God said that it will happen. Look at this example with me of faith. This is in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 27. I'm sure that you're familiar with this story. It says, When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked, What are you arguing with them about? 
Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He is a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it's thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, and I, and I love this, he says, If you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him in, into terrible convulsions. And the boy came like a corpse, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and he stood up. In this recounting from, from Mark, Jesus uh, had just come down off the, the mountain with uh, Peter and John and Luke. He was in the Mount of Transfiguration, okay? Prior to this event, the disciples had seen Jesus heal people. They'd seen him walk on water. They saw him a couple of times feed thousands of people with just a few loaves and fish. They knew by experience that God was working through Jesus. And while Jesus is on this mountain with Peter, excuse me, Peter, James, and John, a man brings his son to be healed. He brings him to the disciples. And this is where our narrative begins. The disciples hoped that they could help as they had seen Jesus do many times, but they were unable to. The father too had hope, but he also was not certain. We know this because of his response to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. The father's hope had not yet been transformed into faith. He had hope, but not yet faith. In order for his faith to grow, he had to have an experience with God that would transform that hope into faith. I was thinking about this last night, and I can't help but draw our attention to this morning how God has worked this process in our family. Where's Lily at? There she is right here. Y'all, we prayed so hard for Lily. We prayed hard, and we hoped with all that we had that God, hey, Lily, we hoped with all that we had that God would do something, but our hope had to be transformed into faith, and it was as we saw God heal and sustain her little body. And now she's running around and she's a mess and we love her to death, okay? I can tell you for certain and without a shadow of a doubt that God is still in the healing business because I've seen it. I don't hope for that. I have faith because I've seen God act. Because of the work that we have seen God do in healing and sustaining her, our faith is greater than it was before. Second point, God's love produces faith in his people. Since the beginning of the world, our church talks about this all the time. Since the beginning, since Adam and Eve chose to sin, the world has been broken. But more specifically, our relationship with God was destroyed. And he has been working since then to reveal his true nature to his people. To rekindle the relationship that was broken by sin. He does that for you and I. And his goal has always been for us to know him. Think about this. His goal is for us to know him as well as he knows us, right? That's the point. As we read through biblical history, we see over and over and over again 
that some choose to believe what God's telling them and to act upon it and to respond in faith and others who hear the same thing and choose not to believe. The choices people have faced are the same choice that the father faced when his child was demon-possessed. Do I believe that Jesus can do something about this? Do I choose to believe that God can do what He says He can do? For those that choose to trust, their trust is based on previous experiences that they've had with God. Their faith isn't a blind leap because they have seen and experienced God's work either in their own life or in the lives of the people around them. We'll see this as we work through all the examples listed in chapter 11, that God is the one that initiates the faith. Don't worry, we're not doing all those today, okay? Faith is not something that we can conjure up. Rather, it's the result of us experiencing God's activity in our lives. Our hopes are transformed into faith as we see God do what he says he can do, as he acts in response to what we have heard. Through God working in our lives, starting with the little things and in working to the greater things, our faith is grown from little bitty tiny things to something where we go, yeah, God's got it. I'm not even worried about it. That happens as we see his activity. In just a moment, we're going to read from the author of Hebrews, the first example of faith, and it's a story about two men. One who loved God and responded out of that love and gave accordingly, and one who did not love God and gave out of obligation. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 with me. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. Even though he was dead, even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. As we learned previously in this study, both Cain and Abel gave an offering that was based on their occupation. Abel tended the flocks and Cain plowed the ground. That was their roles. And God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's. And God's approval of their offering wasn't based in its value, quantity, or kind. It was based on the posture of the giver's heart. God approved Abel's offering because, of, because he was showing his love, because he gave his very best. Abel gave a gift with the desire of showing his love and his gratitude toward God. Cain gave a gift because he was supposed to. And you and I, we know what it feels like to get a good gift, right? I was thinking through, I've shared this uh, other examples before, and so I was thinking last night about another good gift that I've received to kind of help us get our minds around this. And I remember whenever uh, my brother and I were, were much younger than we are now, we spent our summers baling hay with my dad. And we did that for a couple of reasons. One, to feed the animals, but also to sell some to offset the expenses that come with having a lot of farm animals. We rodeoed and did all that kind of stuff. And one year at the end of the hay season, my dad surprised my brother and I. He said, go look under your bed. And so I went and looked under my bed, and there was two cases in there. So I pulled them out, and they were a pair of matching shotguns for my brother and I. And that was a great gift because it wasn't expected, and it wasn't required. It wasn't like we went into hay season with a predetermined rate of pay for bales, uh, bailed or, or hours worked. There wasn't an expectation of that. He gave it to us because he loved us, because he appreciated the hard work that we had done that week. That's a gift from the heart. And it's always stood out to me as significant because it wasn't required and it wasn't expected. We were shocked to get those, those guns. And it was significant for us. When I read this passage, I think about Abel's offering. And that's kind of the sentiment that I get. That Abel gave something that he loved. 
that was significant to him. And then we see, we see God reject Cain's offering because he gave it out of obligation, not out of love. I would bet that everybody in this room has also experienced getting a gift that was given out of obligation. I was thinking of an example of that. I remember several years ago, don't worry anybody in my family, you're, you're good. I'm not going to tell any bad stories about you. But our family had gathered in Lake Charles for Christmas. And at that time, all of our extended family would come together, and we're big, in case you didn't notice. This is not nearly all of them. Um, and we would do a, a, a gift swap. You know, everybody wraps a present, and it's supposed to be a good one, something that you would want to receive. We put it under the tree, and you know, you, you know the game. You draw the number, you open a package, and then people can steal it. And so I went under the tree and got an unopened package and opened up, and it was a fondue set that had been passed around the family for several years, it said Christmas exchange. And to, my mom's over there laughing, okay? To say the least, I was not thrilled. Because whoever, I'm not naming any names, whoever had put that back under the tree obviously did not want the gift and didn't give a gift because they really wanted to participate, but because they were obligated. Now, I know that's a silly example, but that's, again, the sentiment. That gift was given out of obligation, not out of love. And that is where Cain faltered. Cain and Abel were born into sin just like you and I are. They were the first to be born in sin. Both were loved by their parents. Both benefited from their parents' experience with God. They no doubt heard and understood the results of their parents' disobedience. Yet one of them responded in faith and love and the other with disobedience and anger. Look with me at Genesis chapter 4 verses 3 through 6. This is, the, this is the story. It says, In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious and why do you look despondent? Many biblical scholars believe that that phrase in the course of time shows that there was some sort of regular basis for offerings to be made, that this was not a one-off, we're going to do this just because. It was something that happened on regular intervals. It's likely that these two brothers grew up watching their parents make such sacrifices. And, and Genesis 4 tells us of that offering. While God's love can produce faith in his people, and this is what I want you to hear, because his love does produce faith, it can produce faith in his people, but it's entirely dependent upon his people choosing to let God work in them. Cain and Abel grew up in the same household. They had the same experiences. One chose to love God and to have gratitude towards him, and one did not. We see in the story that Abel responds with love, whereas Cain responds because he has to. And while I know this is not your typical Christmas message, I think there is some significant application for us as we think about gift giving and the gifts that we have received, specifically Jesus. As we celebrate his birth, we can do so in response to the, the love God has for us, or we can do it out of duty and tradition. The challenge we all face, face is to not let the season overwhelm the reason that we celebrate during this season. With all the expectations that comes with Christmas, it's all too easy to allow the busyness to overtake us and to take our focus. How we choose to celebrate doesn't just affect us either, though. It affects those people around us. Jump with me back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. We're going to read this again, and I'm going to pull something out of the end of it. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, 
Listen to this. And even though he's dead, he still speaks through his faith. Third point for today is our faith reveals God's love to the world. How we respond to God's activity tells the world and it tells God what is most important about us or most important to us. In the case of Cain and Abel, their story has stood as a reminder for all of history, the significance of sincerity. Now, in your response to God, it may not last for all of time. Thank you, Jesus, for that, right? Nobody's writing a book about us. But those decisions will have a significant impact on your circle of friends and family. Christ gave all for us. In celebrating Christmas um, and His birth, we have an opportunity to share with a broken world, a world that lives in sin just like we do, without the hope and the faith in Jesus. We have an opportunity to share with them this incredible gift that was given for all men, for all women, for all children, not just for the church. The story that we can share is not just about the birth of Christ, but more specifically, what that means to us personally. Because if it's just a story about Jesus, it's over there. But when we share what Christ has done for us and what His birth, what His salvation means for us personally, that story goes from over there to right here. And then it can become part of their story. Each of us has experienced the love of God and it's changed our lives. And each of us has also been asked by God to share our faith with those around us. Look with me at 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. It says, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. The faith we have, listen to me, the faith that we have is a result of God's activity in our life, right? The odds that we first experience God's activity through, the odds are that we first experience God's activity through someone else's faith. I want you to spend some time this week thinking about your story and how you came to salvation and how you began to see God working in your life. Consider the time that the people in your life invested in you so that you could come to know the truth about who God is. God used a follower of Christ to speak and to act in order to reveal his love for you. God did that for you. And he did it through somebody else. This could have been a parent, a pastor, youth pastor, evangelist, a neighbor, a friend. Regardless of who it was, your hope was transformed into faith because a believer obeyed God and shared their faith with you, right? Think about that. That person's faith and faithful love revealed God's love to you. Whomever that was in your life, they lived sacrificially so that you could know the love of Jesus. It could have been through word only, but chances are good 
that there was some action involved with that as well. Listen, church, offerings are no longer required for us, right? We read of Cain and Abel and their offerings or sacrifices that they made to God, but Jesus took care of that for us. We're no longer required to give an offering or a sacrifice. The offering that we can make today, though, is by walking in obedience. That when you gave your life to Christ, you submitted it to Him, and you allow Him to work in and through you. That's our offering, that we walk in obedience with what God calls us to do. And listen to me, God intends to use each and every one of us to reveal His love to the people around us. No one's excluded from that. There are people in your life, and they're probably coming to mind right now, but there are people in your life who do not have faith in Jesus. They hope that when they die, that they've done enough good that Jesus will accept Him. And we know that that's not the truth. And God has put it in your realm for you to be able to instruct them from hope to faith to show them God's activity in their life. God has you in their life so that your faith can help them see how much God loves them. God's going to reveal His love to them through you. That's how this works. You are God's plan for them to learn about who He is. And church, there's no backup plan. If God has put someone in your life who doesn't know Him, you are God's plan. It could be that you invite them to coffee, share a meal with them, maybe share the gospel when it gets to that point. More than likely, you know who those people are and you already know what God's asking you to do and you've been afraid to do it. But don't ignore those nudges from the Holy Spirit. You have the opportunity to be the person that shows them that they are seen and loved. You get to be the person that somebody else was for you by sharing your faith with them. What a wonderful time of year as we celebrate the birth of Christ, as we're already engaged in celebration to share the love of Jesus with somebody. In celebrating Christ's birth, we're celebrating how much he loves his children. We all know the message of why he came. We memorize this as, I think, I heard I was in the back, I think David read this this morning, John 3, 16, y'all know that one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Listen, that's the testimony of Jesus when he is on earth. He's saying, this is why I came, right? Look back with me at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We read it just a moment ago. Because now we need to commit to memory and action our role in God's plan for his children to know his love. Look at this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love the world in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Action and truth is how the world comes to know that Jesus died for them. And you are God's plan for that. I am God's plan for that. And I want to say this, okay, we're wrapping it up. Because I don't want you to leave here today thinking that, oh, that's the pastor's job, or that's the youth pastor's job, or that's the evangelist's job. God has called all of us to this work, not just a select few. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells the disciples to go and make disciples, right? Disciples, go make disciples. He didn't say for the pastors or the evangelists to go and make disciples. He told the followers of Christ to go make more followers of Christ. Look at the Great Commission with me, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, because I want you to see this with your own eyes, not just out of my mouth. 
The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We make more disciples by teaching other people what we have learned about God. You get that? Word and action, right? We have learned about who God is. And we then go and make disciples by teaching them what we know. That's, that's what Christmas is about. It's about taking people who only have hope and helping transition their hope into faith by revealing God's activity in their life. It's about the followers of God being faithful in love. God's faithful love drew us to him. And his faithful love flowing through us is what's going to draw more people to him. Today I want to end our service by sharing together in the Lord's Supper. If a couple of deacons would come up and help me serve that. I want, to, I want us to think about this moment as Jesus is sharing this last meal with his disciples. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up. And everybody's welcome, adults, children, everything. Parents, if you have kids and they participate, the expectation is that you're going to have a purposeful conversation with them about what this means, okay? And don't worry, it's not complicated. They're probably going to ask you questions and you just answer them to the best of your ability, okay? Joshua, where you at, buddy? Come see. We have this tradition in our church that we, if you just got baptized, we take the Lord's Supper. Have a seat. Josh, I want to I talk to you for just a minute about what this meal is about. Do you remember why Jesus did this with his disciples? I'm putting you on the spot. Why do you do it? Yeah, he wanted them to remember, right? This is what I'm doing. So he gathers them together. This is right before his death. Okay, and he, and he takes the bread, which Miss Michelle has. Hold up a cracker. We're using crackers. We're being COVID safe today, okay? Um, normally, I like to break a loaf of bread, but we're not going to do that today. But here's what's significant about this, Joshua, is they were just having dinner, right? People get hungry, and we like to eat, and, so we, and we really like to eat together. So they gathered up, and they're having this meal together. And at the end of the meal, Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it. And he says, I want you to do this to remember me. This is my body broken for you. And what's really neat about this is we don't have to only think about this and we shouldn't only think about this when we do it in this setting. But every time we eat, we think about the fact when we, when, you know, I know you like rolls, right? When you break that roll up and you take a bite out of it, remember that Jesus said that when we eat of that, that that was his body broken for us. And then I shared this with Jude. He did something even weirder than that. He took the cup and he said, this cup is of the new covenant. It's my blood. That's awkward, right? Okay. Every time you drink juice now, you can remember that Jesus shed his blood for you, right? And we've talked about that through your salvation experience. And so today, as we share in the Lord's Supper together, as you think about the things that the Lord has spoken today, as you think about those people in your life that don't know Jesus, have a moment right where you are, where you're sitting, to pray for them. And to ask God to give you peace and comfort in your role in sharing that relationship. Because I know when we talk about sharing Christ, people kind of get cringy. They're like, oh, I can't do that. I just can't do it. If you can share a meal with somebody, you can share the gospel. And often it starts there. Jesus is revealing who he is to his disciples. And he did it with a piece of bread and a cup of juice.
So this morning I want to invite you to come up. You can just come up the center aisle. They'll hand you the cup and the cracker. And if you would, just take that back to your seat and then we'll all take those together. So y'all come forward this morning. When Jesus was sharing this meal with his disciples, he was, he was celebrating the Passover, but also the new covenant. He was about to do something that was going to change the world forever. He was going to sacrifice himself. And he is, he's going through the course of this evening, he's trying to help the disciples understand what's about to happen, but they were having trouble getting their minds around it. Today on this side of the cross, we see clearly what Jesus has done for us. And so this morning, as we take of the bread and the cup, I want us to, to have a moment. We're going to just have silent prayer um, after you take the, the elements. Um, and then I'll close this out, okay? So Jesus took the bread and the cup, and he partook. So take the bread. And the cup. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning as we have gathered together to celebrate baptism and the work that you've done in all of our lives, Father, I ask that you would keep forefront in our minds those around us who still need that same experience for themselves. Father, that as we move forward this next week in preparation to celebrate your birth, that those people that are around us who don't know you, Father, that you would provide opportunities for us to have meaningful conversations. God, that we would have an opportunity to, to share with them, either in word or in action, how much you love them. Father, keep us mindful. Help us to be aware of your spirit as you're moving through our day-to-day -day actions. Jesus, we love you and we thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.